0: You're listening to What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Check out all our shows on podcast.hyperX.com. Content warning racism, whitewashing, and crackbot conspiracy theories. Action, excitement, horror, romance! thrills, and chills, Swords and sorcery, rockets, and ray guns. A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on... What? What? My universe!
1: As I was saying, the old Egyptians came from Mexico. The more intelligent emigrated to the banks of the Nile for political reasons that do not concern you. And there, in prehistoric times, they attained to a civilization far superior to that of 19th century Europe. They discovered many things and improved on many inventions, and amongst other things they perfected the art of instantaneous transmission from one locality to another. This, I may tell you, is, like all important discoveries, a very simple thing being based upon the calmness of nature's laws. I, near as possible, interrupted her to explain the constituents of Plummer's Pill as a case in point, but I didn't. She might not have seen the connection, and nothing is gained by giving away trade secrets. She went on. Briefly, it rests upon the same principle as electricity. That is to say that given the medium, there is no reason why energy should be located in any special point of that medium. It is in fine stationary by chance rather than by design. You follow that? Oh, perfectly, I said. I didn't, but that was no affair of hers. Therefore, she continued, the question resolved itself into the discovery of that universal medium, which after experiments, which I need not relate, was found to be nitrogen, a substance that pervades all space. Though, for some reason, your scientists have till recently insisted that space, the ether as they call it, must be a vacuum. Exactly what I was about to say, I remarked, thinking that if I humored her, she would be done sooner. To Venus in Five Seconds, being an account of the strange disappearance of Thomas Plummer Pillmaker, 1897, by Fred T. Jane. Hello, welcome to What Mad Universe. I am Philip, and with me as always is Adam. Hello. And today we're discussing To Venus in Five Seconds, by Fred T. Jane, a novel you have not heard of for probably good reason.
0: Yes, and I have been instructed very carefully not to read or learn anything about this novel. So I am going in completely blind.
1: So we'll be back after a brief
0: break.
2: Coming soon from HyperX. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life. So you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. Hear audio cues with pinpoint precision thanks to the dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X spatial audio. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The Cloud Alpha Wireless, available soon at HyperX.com, HP.com, Amazon, Best Buy, Micro Center, and more fine retailers. Uh,
1: So this is a uh, very weird, uh, very short book, and uh, you might ask why we're doing an episode on it, and uh, it's because I felt like it.
0: Phil, Um, why are we doing an episode on this? (laughs) Yes, I was asked by Phil very specifically not to read or learn anything about this book, so I am going in completely blind. Um, I'm letting him cover this. But uh, yes, when when was this book written, Phil? Uh, So Uh,
1: 1897. uh, The author was Fred T. Jane, um, who had a... uh, His most popular work is actually a... um, um, uh, it's called uh jane 's Fighting ships and it 's a um sort of a guide on real world uh it 's a reference book uh on real world warships so it 's like military uh contemporary military science and stuff and there actually is a um still a jane's information group um, uh, which uh, he founded and it 's a, a global open source intelligence company about uh, okay. military and national cons- security, aerospace, transport, topics, etc. Um, okay. Uh, he was a uh, illustrator, and uh, at one point in his career, he was doing several uh, science fiction books, or what were called at the time, uh, scientific romances. And mm-hmm. uh, some of these included uh, Hartman the Anarchist, which I haven't read yet, but it's it's on my list. And uh, two of them, notably, uh, were subjects of a previous episode of this show Uh, George Griffith's uh, The Angel of the Revolution and Olga Romanoff's Siren of the Skies. Hmm. So he did the illustrations for those. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, And uh, having done some, uh, having done the illustrations for a bunch of scientific uh, er, or sci fi books, he decided to just make fun of the genre and do a, a parody. Hmm. Um, so that's what this is. Um, it's um, it's quite short, and I read it uh, a while back. Uh, I just wanted to do something sort of short and breezy uh, after, uh, you know, the Scarlet Pimpernel research, which right. uh, was several months in the making. Um, yeah. But also, I have somewhat of a history with this book. Um, uh, I-, I learned about it about... Uh, I don't know uh, a decade ago, maybe maybe a little less, but like years and years ago, um, uh, when I was researching, you know, various uh, planets in early science fiction, um, and I was looking up Venus uh, stuff set on Venus, I discovered a description of this book, which uh, is, has a wild premise, and I uh, I went searching for if it was online or if I could buy it somewhere. And I came across one vendor, which was uh, seeming to sell it, and uh, uh, it was uh, sort of like a, a tiny, you know, nothing publisher. Uh, I've I've actually gotten a lot of um, sort of public domain books this way that haven't been transcribed onto the internet. Uh, people just sort of photocopy books from libraries and um, put them out in book mm. form, and it's it's a way to get access to some of these and so that's what i thought this was but i didn't read closely enough in the description because i just assumed you know why would you sell a book that's not actually the book anyway uh it was a printed out collection of wikipedia entries (laughs) (laughs) which apparently is a thing um it's a common scam Uh, i did get my money back but uh i was disappointed in the book not being available um Yeah, so it's like the the first article was on to Venus in five seconds, and then all the articles that get linked in that Wikipedia article were had their own articles in the book. So there was one on pyramids and one on Venus and you know, like just less than useless because Wikipedia at least updates and (laughs) Hmm. this was just you know right, okay. (laughs) Just like pointless. It's a scam. Uh, I got scammed. Uh, like I said, I got my money back. but um, uh, So, i just years thinking that this was like a white whale I'd never be able to read. But I checked a couple months ago uh, on a whim, and somebody had put it online. So that's good. Oh, okay. good. Um, so, uh, on to the book proper. Um, <laughs> yeah, Like I said, it's a comedy. It's, it's a very... Um, uh, scathing parody of the genre actually it parodies it, it feels like a parody of like john carter and you know like barsoom stuff in in some ways but it predates that by by several right. years right. um the uh the main character is uh thomas Plummer.
0: sorry um, just who, to go back sorry you you but you mentioned that john carter was kind of responding to some of the pulp of the time right that it was kind of a yeah on that. yeah
1: so, Such so as, it uh, what was a um, voyage
0: to Mars or whatever it was called?
1: Yeah, um, this probably isn't a parody of Voyage to Mars, but I can see maybe some uh, um, Gulliver of Mars in there. Um, okay, Gulliver Jones, his vacation by—I uh, forget the author offhand, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this was a thing. Um, obvi- obviously, um, John Carter didn't invent a lot of these tropes. It just sort of codified them and turned them into something that, uh, really captured a lot of people's imaginations. Mm. Um, so this is parodying stuff that John Carter would later, you know, do really well, basically. Right. Um, so the main character in this whole book is narrated by, uh, Thomas Plummer, who is a complete idiot. He's just a rich, uh, upper class British fail son. Um, his father, uh, Uh, runs a company that uh, sells the plumber's pill, which um, it's quite clear is just a um, a useless, uh, sold-as-a-cure-all, but um, um, it's pretty clear that there's nothing actually in it, Um, though his father is very uh, insistent that it actually does work. Um, It's called the plumber's pill? Yeah, just referred to as the pill in the book, which is... Uh, it's not a birth control pill, it's just, uh, <laughs> um, it's just like a cure-all, like it'll supposedly cure all your diseases or whatever. Um, mm. and, uh, uh, Plummer's, uh, Thomas Plummer's father, uh, decides that, uh, it would really help out the sales of the pill if there was a doctor in the family. Uh, so he gets his son to, uh, he wants his son to sign up for medical school and start training, uh. And he says, um, and the, uh, Thomas is uh, not interested in doing this at first, but when his father said, uh, nonsense, I, I believe in genetics and I'm smart, so you must be smart too. Um, mm. And uh, if you fail, that's probably just because the other doctors are uh, uh, jealous because of the pill, just sort of jealous for professional reasons. And mm. so this gives Thomas sort of an out in case he fails, which he probably will because uh, whatever his other faults, he knows he's stupid. Um, so, uh, he decides to sign up, and, um, a- as he's going, he's, he's not good at it. He faints at the sight of blood. He, he he's just terrible at it. Um, but he meets a, uh, a female doctor in training named Zumina, um, who has, um, dark skin and is kind of attractive. He's sort of wishy washy on whether he actually finds her attractive but uh um he interprets her uh as hitting on him and they go back to her place and uh it turns out that it was an an abduction um they okay. go into a chamber and uh she transports them to Venus and in he 5 spent-
0: seconds i'm assuming
1: yep yep that's the title um and uh Uh, He spends uh, a good portion of the book just assuming he's um, uh, either that she's crazy or once he starts seeing sights that he's uh, gone insane and just sort of casually, you know, like um, uh, talks to aliens and stuff, just thinking they're hallucinations and just sort of tries to go with it Hmm. um, until eventually realizing that it's that it's real. Um, right, which is a, a funny way of because he's the narrator, so like
0: you know. Right. Um, oh, that's that sounds like yeah the kind of joke I'd hear in a late Victorian story. Like I tried, I decided to indulge my madness and.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so we learn what Zumina is. She's from a race of uh, well, she's uh, okay. So there's backstory here. The ancient Egyptians are actually from Mexico. Uh, they originally came. They, they're uh, in this book. They're identical with the Mayan culture, and that's why they both have pyramids.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, the old pyramids thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and uh, the uh, the Mayans uh, eventually uh, moved to uh, the Nile for, uh, as it, as I said in the the intro, there for political reasons. Um, and uh, set up uh, an advanced uh, culture, and they eventually landed on uh, teleportation through very uh, confusing techno babble. it's explained. It's just nonsense. Um, I, I liked in the, uh, the opening bit that I read that uh, uh, Plummer just sort of nods along, not understanding what's being said, and just sort of says, yep, yep, hoping that she'll shut up. Hmm. so he can just move on to something that he can actually talk about right which which is a how a we funny all reality. how
0: we all appreciate techno e- right?
1: exactly yeah um it, it i I'd, I'd appreciate like somebody on Star trek acting like that sometimes when there's um just sort of you know nodding along maybe maybe uh maybe this mm-hmm. conversation will end and I
0: can just walk away, yes. Well, to be uh, fair, we all get sick of the little "Speak English, Doc." You yeah, know. fair, <laughs> fair, but that's usually
1: for stuff that like is actually very understandable.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: so in experimenting, oh, and of course, the pyramids are were built uh, to help out the uh, teleportation techniques, um, and they used this to uh, travel. Uh, travel at will from the Nile to Mexico uh, and back and forth. And they kept up their civilization like this for many years until a group of them wound up on Venus by accident um, through a through a, a mistake in in uh, the application of their technology. Um, they eventually... They hated when uh, I
0: up on Venus by accident.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, where they uh, came in contact with the natives of Venus, who are called the with uh, the Egyptian people called the Thothin, um, or Thothin for singular. And, uh, yeah, so this is um, sort of a reverse ancient astronauts thing. So instead hmm. of the um, aliens coming to Earth and teaching all their um, uh, culture to, you know, you know, helping the, the Egyptians build the pyramids and all the Egyptian gods are actually just uh, aliens— Uh, which is a common trope that wasn't uh, really around at this point. It it had appeared in a few uh, pieces of fiction, as we've discussed previously. It uh, showed up in the Edison's Conquest of Mars um, by Garrett Service, which is an unauthorized sequel to War of the Worlds. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah,
0: you've mentioned that one before. Yeah. you mentioned that before.
1: So that had uh, Martians being... um, Having ruled over ancient Egypt for a time, and that the Sphinx was originally, the face of the Sphinx was originally the Martian king that was eventually carved down into uh, uh, a human face. Um, so, like, it was a thing, but it, the chariots of the gods and all that stuff wasn't really till later. A lot of it uh, took off later, and now it's just a standard sci fi
0: trope. Do Phil Philip do we know when the pyramids on Mars started to make an appearance that would have been quite a bit later right they they weren't uh, that's a doctor who episode era. no no i know but <laughs> it's based on the idea that they saw you know the face and also pyramids were seen supposedly on Mars oh. uh, in some images but i i'm pretty sure that's literally when we sent satellites to take pictures of Mars i don't think it was uh yeah. you know 19th century um. era
1: I, I, I'm i not sure. I think the face was fairly recent, like, at least yeah. the, the 50s or 60s. Right. Um, yeah. Sorry, I don't have information on that offhand. Right.
0: But I do know pyramids on Mars is actually a recurring thing, so it's actually interesting that this guy's referencing it in the 19th century anyway.
1: Uh, though, with Venus.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, We'll get into the distinctions between Venus and Mars and
0: popular fiction
1: in a bit, but I want to go through the story first. It's mm-hmm. it's not very long. So um, the the Egyptians on on Venus uh, who uh, call themselves the Sutenra, uh, with two a's for plural and one a with singular. Uh, the uh, the Sutenra eventually built uh, figured out that the pyramids don't have to be that big in order to facilitate. Uh, teleportations, they built slightly smaller ones on Venus, are able to get back to uh, Earth. But uh, eventually the, uh, the original Egyptian culture starts declining, the remaining ones become uh, the gods of other cultures, which is sort of um, predating stuff that, uh, like uh, Atlantis uh, being the gods of other cultures that we see in, say, uh, um, Solomon Cain, that one mm-hmm. Solomon Cain story. You know, that that became a popular trope later on. Though that's, um, uh, as we'll discuss, that's parroting, uh, like, uh, H. Ryder ha- uh, Haggard's uh, She and stuff like that. So that was already
0: a trope existing. Right. Um, and I, yeah, up to this day, I just watched Eternals, and that has the same thing of, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we well, are the gods of ancient legend.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Eternals is based directly on Chariots of the Gods, which was... Um, right. uh a uh, egregious bit of pseudoscience, but Kirby sort of did some interesting stuff with it. Anyway, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, the Egyptians here are depicted as um, a very uh, rigid scientific culture. Um, they don't actually have uh, seem to have a religion or gods. As it says, the uh, gods of later cultures are just the Egyptians using super science. Mm-hmm. Uh, to impress people, um, I-, I thought that was an interesting take. Definitely, because uh, the Egyptians are depicted as brown in this in this book, which they're not yeah, always in pop culture.
0: That's right. I mean, there's been that's been one of the big things that um, there's a tendency like of of all the cultures that aren't that are portrayed as like great and and important to our current society in you know victorian early 20th century fiction the egyptians are the ones that weren't white people i mean again depending on how you define the ancient greeks and so on which they weren't always defined as white either uh but they tend to like whitewash the egyptians for that exact reason so that's actually really interesting
1: yeah i, I mean uh, going into hollywood where it was a bunch of white actors playing egyptians uh right up until the present day i mean we had uh, uh gods of egypt and that uh one that uh Ridley Scott
0: uh, directed. Oh right, yeah. Exodus, the, the Ten Commandments one. Yeah, yeah, did. yeah. Got, uh, yeah, I forget what that's called. Yeah.
1: But yeah, a bunch of bunch of white people
0: as Egyptians.
1: It's it's mm. uh, it hasn't stopped in pop culture, and it's it's not true. <laughs> mm.
0: um,
1: but yeah, uh, uh, it, it's also uh, the the idea of Egyptians as having. Um, advanced technology and stuff uh also plays into some other pulp stuff that i've noticed uh have you seen um the adventures of adele blanc sec
0: uh i haven't seen the the movie no i i feel like there's an animated version of that that i saw but maybe it's, i'm confusing it with something i else. don't
1: think there's an animated version there there it's a european comic that got adapted to a movie by Luc Besson. um i i like the movie quite a bit i haven't read the comic but uh yeah, it's it's very much sort of the stuff we talk about on this show, you know, very pulpy, uh early twentieth century, you know, uh Indiana Jones stuff, but there's also a pterodactyl and resurrection yeah. and stuff, and but yeah, uh they, they end up resurrecting some mummies and it turns out that they're like they were nuclear engineers and stuff mm-hmm. in, in ancient Egypt. Um they also seem to have magic, but it's like, you know, entwined with the science. Um I, I do like that trope. Just, like, not ancient alien stuff, just the Egyptians being really advanced and we didn't know it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There's also, of course, uh, yeah, this whole book reminded me of that uh, Futurama gag where uh, they go to the yeah. Egyptian planet and it turns out that the Egyptians had gone, had, um...
0: Yeah, they they went to visit other yeah, planets space space and travelers. taught them how to build pyramids. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Which uh, I, I
0: just think is really funny. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
2: Superhero stuff you should know. Go
0: deeper than you've gone before into your favorite comic book films, storylines, and characters.
2: Superhero stuff you should know. I'm part of the HyperX Podcast Network.
1: Also. <laughs> <laughs> We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks, we do linguistic analysis. The Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or
0: refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese, it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed.
2: So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun.
0: One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Oh,
2: Sarah, oh should... I think your apartment is
0: hot. <laughs> Check us out at the HyperX Podcast Network.
2: Coming soon from HyperX. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. Hear audio cues with pinpoint precision thanks to the dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X Spatial Audio. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The Cloud Alpha Wireless, available soon at HyperX.com, HP.com, Amazon, Best Buy, Micro Center, and more fine retailers.
1: Uh, the Sutinra sort of made a pact with the uh, Thothine, the aboriginals of Venus, who are extremely advanced, uh, even more so than the Egyptians in every way except medicine, of which their technology is really crude. So the Sutinra sort of um, uh, become doctors, the official doctors of this alien race. Um, And uh, eventually, by the present day of the book, um, there's it's a very uneasy alliance that's starting to break down and neither side trusts each other. The Thothene are uh, concerned that the um, uh, Ra have too much power because they rely on them for all their medical needs, and the um, Ra are afraid that the Thothene are um, getting uh, wary of them and are going to exterminate them. Um, By the end of the book, uh, war is broken out. but uh, as, as we enter the, the scene, it's sort of um, just tensions in the air. Uh, the Thophene are um, large. Uh, okay, there's a um, uh, description here. They're about seven feet high. Uh, they're sort of in- insect like. They have uh, shining scales upon its side with great folded gossamer wings, uh, with antenna and a hairy, flexible trunk capable of mo- almost endless extension set on top of its head, with horned eyes capable of expression, with a mouth capable of speech. Um, So, sort of um, very non-human aliens, but uh, intelligent and able to speak, um, which I always appreciate. uh, Interesting sort of creature designs in books. Mm. They do Uh, sound a
0: bit bit like uh, the Tharks. In that they're you know just bit hu- bigger than humans, basically.
1: Yeah, but these are like quadrupeds, and they have one arm extended from their foreheads. Hmm. That looks like an elephant's trunk, but it's like a flexible uh, uh, antenna. Anyway, uh, and they can they can fly as well. They have uh, wings that are shown a few times to be able to fly. Uh, so it seems that the uh, the Sutunra have been. Um, uh, going to Earth back and forth for, for quite a while, both to um, uh, improve their own medical abilities, um, because their entire culture at this point is focused on medicine and being able to, uh, you know, do surgeries and uh, treat these uh, theme creatures. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, they, they've... Uh, so that's why the... Uh, uh, Zumina was in a medical school at the beginning. She was just sort of brushing up on her medical knowledge. Uh, But they've also been abducting humans in order to experiment on them, Uh, both just to improve, again, to uh, keep up their medical knowledge, but also because they want to uh, uh, get over their main handicap, which is uh, on Venus. Uh, In this book, it's apparently so bright that it'll, it'll drive a human being mad if they go outside in the Sun during the day so they have to wear dark glasses all the time and this is uh, a weakness which sets them apart from the thoine that they're concerned about so they're trying to experiment on on uh, abducted humans in order to improve their uh, eyesight so they can withstand the Venusian Sun hmm. uh, uh,
0: now that's but that, now so that's kind of interesting that again we have alien abduction. Uh, yep. decades before you did generally see that done. Um I guess they do it via tele you know teleporting people but still like that's uh that's interesting.
1: Yeah, uh well I mean to get into alien abduction stuff that that's sort of it's not uh originally associated with aliens but similar phenomena are described with like fairies and stuff like it depends on the culture. Um and it all seems to be about uh, sleep paralysis.
0: Um Yeah. But fairies don't quote abduct people usually. Yeah, do they do. They, that's
1: changelings. Uh, they
0: oh, I guess children that's true. But that's. Them. But you don't usually get adults going. Yes, I was abducted to a I fairy realm. I mean, there's realm. a lot of
1: fairy tales with that, where you go into a fairy land and eat the food and you, get stuck you,
0: there. You, well, it's see, I think the distinction there is that people go, they wander off into the woods and find the fairyland or something, as opposed to, they came in and grabbed me and pulled me into fairyland, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I, I know that sleep, the sleep paralysis thing has been a thing for a while, and that's where, like, Succubi came from, for instance, but mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel like there is a distinction with the mo- uh, the modern, you know, mythos amount around alien abductions and so on. Yeah, but also yeah. I just, mean,
1: it's also pop culture feeding into it and
0: um, right.
1: expanding on, on tropes and um. Yeah, it's a back and forth cycle with with the pop culture stuff. Uh, this is getting way off field, but uh, no. Uh, say the the original um, the really popular original alien abduction story that sort of introduced the Greys to the collective imagination um, was uh, Barney and Betty Hill from the fifties, I believe, maybe late forties, and uh, their uh, abduction story changed a few times through uh, different psychiatric sessions with hypnosis and mm-hmm. uh the description of the aliens changed from uh beings that were wearing uh suits and had big noses like jimmy duranti and eventually changed to the more uh to something more resembling the the modern grays and the uh something that aired in between them between those two sessions on te- on television was an episode of the Outer Limits, which had aliens that looked somewhat like the later description they gave. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's theorized that they they saw the Outer Limits episode and that influenced how they uh, right. viewed their uh, supposed abductors.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a thing. Well, this is actually something I have got sort of earmarked for a future episode too, actually potentially. So
1: yes, oh, the shaver the mystery, stuff, yes, the
0: shaver yes. mystery stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, well, anyway, that's, so, but yeah this
1: is that's, a, that's the. That's the delusions of one probably schizophrenic man. So, Yeah, um, right. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that in that episode, but I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, the name Thothine uh, interested me. Uh, obviously, it comes from the Egyptian god Thoth. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in this case, it's what the Egyptians called the aliens, not their actual name. But it reminded me of uh, the Thoths being the uh, Martians in uh, A Martian Odyssey.
0: Right, yeah, that's exactly recall. what I just thought yeah. when, you, when you said they were called the thought theme, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's also a case of, uh, well, that's a, more of an ancient aliens thing, where uh, they came to Earth and inspired ancient Egyptians. So that's more the traditional take. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is sort of a, a reversal. Um, it, it does seem in some ways like a parody of something that didn't quite exist yet. Right. Um so there's there's other abductees there including a uh, a parson uh named uh um a uh, parson Winward and a woman named Phyllis Alson who was uh an orphan and uh was very um traumatized by this whole abduction experience um and uh Plummer sort of falls in love with her instantly she's the love interest and she doesn't have much of a personality of her own but that's sort of part of the joke I suppose um, again, this is all narrated by, by Plummer, who's, uh, very clearly an idiot. Um, and he's, uh, viewing all these things, and the way he describes them, he's clearly doesn't really understand what's going on at any point. Um, uh, he, he understands somewhat in retrospect, but even there, he, he just sort of, he tunes out while people are speaking frequently. He's very, uh, um very non-observant um Mm -hmm. his descriptions of things are often very incomplete and normally i'd find that frustrating but it's it it speaks to the character in this case and like i said it's a it's a parody and it works in that sense right yeah like he'll describe the Thothine writing on some weird machine but normally that would annoy me that you don't describe the machine but in this case like it it would be out of character if he did you know
0: right well, and there's some non-parodic stuff from this kind of era of sci-fi where they they tend to do that, and it's it's you know it's like fair enough. It's a, a hu- it's supposed to be an Earth human not understanding what they're looking at because they're not you know educated enough. And I think that's I know, but like-
1: I I usually find it pretty uh, frustrating when that happens. Um, there's I remember one uh, another Martian one. I can't remember what it was called, uh, but they. None of the animals in the story were actually described. It just says, "like nothing I've ever seen on Earth," and, and right. leave
0: it at that. Yeah. That's yeah. like I have nothing well, to go on. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you can describe an you can describe what your eyes <laughs> see. Obviously, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I th- I think there's a, there is there's something to be said for like I didn't get this because I'm just a human and especially in older sci-fi because the you know the the default was always well I the bold usually you know Englishman or whatever or American will show up and teach these supposedly more you know they're supposedly more sophisticated but I'll still show them you know how to do things the right way which which persists all the way into modern sci-fi to a certain extent yeah Um, and so it's you know it's kind of good to see that in some ways but I maybe I'm extrapolating a lot from it but still
1: yeah um, so, uh, anyway, there's, I, I realize I'm describing the plot in a little too much detail here, so I'll skim over some things. Um, uh, Plummer is under the impression that Zumina is in love with him, which we find out is absolutely not the case. Um, she finds his, uh, physique fascinating from a medical standpoint, um, and, uh, finds his brain interesting because he's, um so very deluded and um um, she just finds him interesting from like a a medical and psychiatric point of view um and he just interprets this as her being in love with him and he keeps trying to like let her down gently and stuff uh and it's it's pretty funny (laughs) um like i said i I like that sort of it's not quite an unreliable narrator because he's not like lying but he's he is stupid so it ends with a, uh, a war breaking out, and like most, like everything else in this book, it happens completely out of Thomas Plummer's sort of range of understanding of what's going on. He sort of picks up on the broad strokes of it, but uh, um, there, there's things like the, the air becomes electrified, and that's apparently a weapon by the Sutinra to fight the Thothine, and there's like... Um, uh, another race that the Thothine or uh, that the Sutnra teamed up with against the Thothine. And all this is very like muddled and confusing, I, again, intentionally, because Thomas Plummer is a complete idiot. Um, uh, and uh, But uh, um, uh, zumina uh, is, again, uh, interested in uh, uh, Thomas from a uh, medical point of view and decides to save his life. Uh, She also takes um, uh, his love interest, Phyllis, and wipes her memory completely, so she has no idea who she is or who anybody is. Um, This is supposedly in order to uh, make her uh, a blank slate, so her various traumas that she had in life, including the abduction, but not limited to that, uh, wouldn't affect her, and she could live a happy life from that point, um, uh, which is dark. Hmm. Um, again Zumin is sort of uh, a cold emotionless uh sort of character uh the the entire uh Egyptian culture is sort of portrayed this way which like I said is an interesting take um like they're super intelligent but they're they're very um uh morally dubious and um don't seem to ha- um work by uh emotions or Fully understand emotions and stuff. They're they're sort of like a race of automatons.
0: Weird. That's. I wonder if that was. That's some. You, uh, you were saying they, they portrayed them as you know not white people, but and sometimes that's associated with that. But yeah, I wouldn't say here that's a trope.
1: Yeah, it's not really a trope to associate Egyptians specifically with that, but it is sort of yeah. a, like a more advanced culture sort of thing. Mm. Yeah yeah becomes sort of callous in their they're being advanced so yeah wow. I think it's more playing into that idea than the, the race aspect but the two together sort of make an interesting uh, mm-hmm. contrast to most depictions of them right um, So yeah they, they escape to earth and um, wind up in uh, in proper Egypt. Uh, Zumina says that, uh, she's just gonna take off and, uh, probably become a goddess for some tribe somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. which again is a, a direct reference to, uh, uh, um, sorry, uh, H. Ryder Re- uh, Haggard's, uh, She book, uh, which has a, uh, Atlantean become a, a goddess of an African tribe. Right. Um, and, uh, it ends with, uh, the idea that, uh, uh, Thomas Plummer and, uh, Phyllis will get married again, because they, they got married by the parson just before, uh, all the stuff got, t- got, um, went down. And, uh, it's, uh, uh, Thomas says his father wants him to, uh, to write, uh, this whole experience as a book, uh, with the, with some sort of moral, but, uh, his father has since passed on, and he can't remember what the and Thomas can't remember what the moral was supposed to be, but it was probably about the pill somehow. So it's probably best. if it's probably not important.
2: <laughs>
1: so yeah, there, there's a bunch of references. It's literally on, the
0: end. No moral. Is it,
1: exactly. Saying. Yeah. See, it was supposed to be a moral, but I can't remember. But it probably wasn't that important anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the book. Um, I found it very funny. I mean, it's it's. Got some weird racial issues, obviously, because um, Mayans and Egyptians were very different cultures.
0: Right. Yeah. And, but well, but uh, that's co- I think that even then that was probably a trope of just oh yeah, pyramids, therefore, and that yeah, was yeah, it's clearly a
1: joke. It's none of it's meant to be serious, which right um, sort of saves some of it.
0: <laughs> well, we talked about we talked about the Blavatskyan thing that was going around at that time, too, which is uh, not necessarily Blavatsky herself specifically, but, you know, people had the whole thing about, like, the Atlantis got revived for lost continents, mysterious yeah. ancient cultures that used to exist, and hey, there's pyramids on both sides of the Atlantic, so maybe there was a culture in between that built pyramids and, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, he, he's presumably tweaking that to a certain yeah. degree, obviously you know uh, maybe they didn't go out go flat out with all that but i think they came pretty close to just basically suggesting that again if oh, you're yeah, talking the, about um, it, I, I read one,
1: one supposed nonfiction book uh, about it, it was uh, called uh, on atlantis and lost lemuria uh one second i'm gonna look up the writer um it was very influential um but yeah it um uh basically said that like all the gods of ancient times were just Atlanteans um and uh technology on both sides of the Atlantic were all just Atlanteans and um uh it was called uh, Atlantis the Antediluvian World uh from eighteen eighty two by Ignatius Donnelly. Okay. Uh which basically said that you know all mysteries from the past were just Atlantis. It did a very just-so um, explanation for for everything, um, right?
0: Yeah, that I mean, th-
1: like of every always... myth is actually true, but it was from Atlantis,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the common, you know, thing for Atlantis. It's the convenient catch-all panacea for. Every everything <laughs> you want to explain as a mysterious thing in the past, basically, which is again, you see that in Blavatsky and all those kinds of
1: people. yeah. So yeah. this is definitely parroting some of
0: those ideas yeah. without because those were very popular it. at the time. That oh, yeah, was yeah. like as we as we talked about in the call episode, which is our second ever episode. We, we talked about like that was a big deal, uh, and it was again, it was like science sort of trickling down into pop cultural knowledge with things like plate tectonics. Uh, You know, people figuring out that, like, certain animals were were probably related across continents because they'd been joined together. And, you know, as you say, ancient civilizations having certain similarities. And the very, very early stuff that grew into von Vondonikin-type chariots of the gods stuff. Uh, But that was all going strong in the late 19th century as well. So it's not surprising to me that that was written at that point.
1: Yeah. Oh, the actual explanation for why both cultures had pyramids is because... That's a fairly simple shape uh, to like build some build a structure in like yeah. it's not that complicated i mean I'm not saying they weren't like great engineering feats and all that, but like it's not that like they could mm-hmm. do it it didn't require alien help or you know <laughs> it, it kind of yeah. annoys me when when people sort of
0: incredulously say you know they right. these
1: ancient cultures couldn't have done that,
0: yeah. Know? Well, of course, I mean, it's, like, to be clear, the pyramids are a very, quite impressive feat of engineering. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, And that's, and that's, and between that and certain things, like, as with, you know, Stonehenge, people talk about how, oh, yeah, it marks the celestial calendar, and how did they get the rocks up there, and... There are always explanations but and uh, of course there's always a there's a bit of a racist element there too of course it's always like well how yes. did these non-white people do so well with it yeah, although so again which is
1: the main exception to that but it's
0: usually right. non-white cultures that
1: we incredulously say how could they you know right they must have had right. help
0: exactly that they were aliens or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I think it's very convoluted, it, not to downplay the racism that's in there, but I, I think it is a little convoluted because it's also a combination of, well, here's a cool idea that I nabbed hold of. There are aliens, there are ancient civilizations that we don't know about, you know, like it grabs your imagination and you start looking for, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, bias for, uh, yeah. for, uh, for selection bias, um, where you start saying, "Oh, well, this can explain that, and this can explain that," and you're not thinking scientifically, you're just kind of throwing in everything that meshes nicely with your theory. Um, and and again, it's sort of it, it, it's it's like conspiracy theories. When the, when you talk about the non uh, you know hateful aspects of conspiracy theories, it it makes the world a little more interesting, a little richer, a little more mysterious. So people kind of grab that as an idea. You know, just to the point where, of course, you know, everyone will say, like, yeah, in pop culture, it's fun to talk about, you know, ancient cultures and aliens, things like that. Like, it, the point is when you start taking it very seriously and saying that it's a real scientific thing and that it that it actually, uh, yeah, actually happened.
1: and also when it becomes very selective, like it's only certain cultures that are, uh, and also uh, flattening cultures into like, right, um, you know, single things. Uh, this is somewhat unrelated, but like the uh, again, begging on J.K. Rowling, uh, uh, you know, there's a magic school on every continent, but like there's one magic school serving the entirety of South America, and it's in Brazil, that has a different language than most of the other countries in South America, and you know, there, there's one magic school for every in the Americas, yeah, yeah, like exactly. for every Native American,
0: it's like one right, culture right. apparently. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely. Yeah, as you say, you're, you're flattening all the cultures. Well, the, yeah. the, the, the I, I, you, but I actually kind of want to go back to what you said about the ancient Egyptians in this story are from Mexico, not vice versa. It's not that the Mayans were Egyptians who were transplanted into South America. It's the other way around, according yeah. to you. That's, well, again, is that, book, again, Yeah, it, is that, again, is that maybe a joke? Is that like a, an indelible a reversal? I'm sure reversal, it's or? not
1: meant to be serious because the whole book is comical, so. Um, right, it's not being put forward as a legitimate idea, I don't think. But,
0: no, but but I mean, I, do you think that was specifically a joke of like, well, the Mexicans came first and they had conquered Egypt or whatever? Or do you think um, they they was just being... I'm know,
1: not about... sure. I think it's just a reversal of what you would expect. Hmm. I, I think it's just a joke in that sense. Like, uh, like we talked about in the... Uh, um, in that whole South Africa thing, and um, Childhood's End. It's just sort mm. of a reversal of expectations. And there's That's some right. weird implications from it, but I don't think it was thought through that 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 much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to talk a bit about uh, Venus and Mars and how they're um, <laughs> often different in pop culture. Um, okay. Obviously there's lots of stories about both and they're, they're depicted in different ways, but certain commonalities with uh, various exceptions pop out. Like Mars is often a, a desert plant or at least like a dying world sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or in some cases, an older, more perfected world, but either way, it's like a more ancient, um, uh, more ancient, more, uh, Advanced in multiple senses of the word civilization or um, environment. Uh, Venus, on the other hand, because it's close to the sun and younger than Earth, is often depicted as wild and savage. Um, sometimes there's advanced ci- uh, civilizations on it, but uh, the, the environment is is depicted as uh, often uh, swamp-like or jungle-like. Uh, there's uh, frequently like dinosaurs, you know, ferns, like it's a uh, um, right. Uh, Jurassic type uh, situation uh, in this case uh, we don't see much of Venus outside of the the Egyptian village um, or city uh, that's depicted in the book but uh, what we do see is very uh, like giant plants of uh, of every color of the rainbow like it, it seems to be like a um, uh, uh, like a, a psychedelic drug trip of a planet mm. In how it looks, and there's the uh, the sun angle because uh, apparently because uh, I guess it's close to the sun or something about the atmosphere, but it'll drive you mad if uh, if a human being goes outside uh, without right. the dark glasses in the daytime. Yeah, as um, you said. So yeah, but- uh, and that ties in with the whole uh, savage aspect of, of Venus, like. Um, mm-hmm. um, there is an an advanced race there, but uh, the environment itself is very feels very untamed.
0: Right. Yeah, it is always interesting. That, yeah, like that. I, I again, that was something I think that was believed by actual science, scientists for you know a hot minute. Um, yep. That that the you know the further you got from the sun, the older the worlds were. So Mars was older than Earth and Venus was younger than Earth. And pop cultural sci-fi tends to write to that the idea of, as you say, Earth, Mars being this ancient dying world and Venus being younger and more Garden of Eden-like, basically. Yeah. Even uh, C.S. Lewis did that in the, uh, in the, uh, the Cosmic Trilogy, which mm-hmm. I, I believe you read, right? Um, I, read he, just, I read the first
1: one. read the Mars one.
0: Right. Well, he literally later has Venus as like the Garden of Eden is happening on Venus right now, and the main character okay. goes there, and he has to to resolve it because again, it it like that's been sort of suggested by so, <laughs> the thing I'm realizing about C.S. Lewis is he liked like he read a lot of science fiction and he liked to like very literally take the themes and and apply them to theological concepts and Venus as a Garden of Eden is something you see a lot, and he made that very literal.
2: <laughs> well, so. uh,
0: there's
1: actually a, a book called Honeymoon in Space about. Uh uh, a wealthy British couple who decide to have a honeymoon in space. You know, they invent a spaceship and um, just go to various planets in the solar system. And the the bit set on Venus is very much the Garden of Eden. Um, mm-hmm. They they go there and there's uh, bird people who live an idyllic life, but they realize that they're a corrupting presence, so they decide to leave.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you, you feel-
1: uh, yeah, it it's very much. Uh, And that was also by George Griffith, actually.
0: The Hmm. uh, uh, Angel of
1: the Revolution guy.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. Yep. Um,
1: So, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting how these... um, uh, Because there there are exceptions. Like, uh, I've talked about Journey to Mars, and that version of Mars is very much... uh, um, It's not a dying world. It's like a perfected world. It's been around longer, so everything's like... uh, evolved for, like, like, not literally in the, you know, Darwin sense, but, like, uh, right. the, the horses have been bred to perfection and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's very Earth-like, uh, including oceans and, you know, green swords and stuff, and uh, very much unlike most other depictions of Mars. But generally, Mars falls into um, certain um, a certain framework that... Uh, um, Allows various stories to sort of fit in, slot into each other.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: and Venus is uh, Venus is not as explored as Mars in in the uh, pop cultural early you know Victorian and early twentieth century. It's it's not as popular as Mars, but those depictions of it also generally fall into these categories. Right. Like, uh, as a swamp, jungle planet, or untamed, or Possibly a, a innocent Garden of Eden type situation.
0: Yeah, I, I, as we've said, um, like Mars sort of probably captured people's uh, um imaginations in some ways because first of all, people were a little more sure about it, and second of all, uh, again, remember this is uh the famous uh Chaparelli, uh Marsh, drawing of the Martian canals would have been just a little bit before this book came out as well. I think that yeah. I think the I think the obsession with Mars was. There has been a few discoveries, but that was one of the big ones that made people really interested in Mars at that particular point.
1: Yeah, and Venus, because of its cloud covering, uh, was very mysterious. Like, we, mm-hmm. we didn't know what was on the surface. Right. Um, and that's part of where the swamp thing came from, because they figured it was, like, you know, a uh, lot, fo- lot of fog, lot of so mm-hmm. there must be, like, swamp areas and ferns, and if there's ferns, there must be dinosaurs. And, right. You know?
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's that, or I mean, again, it's it's people you know hearing something and running with it. And the more imaginative people running with something that might or might not have a scientific basis. So, mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. So yeah, th- this book is very short. I, I would recommend reading it just because it's it-, it is quite funny. I thought, um, uh, obviously, you know, it's Victorian era, so it's a bit of dry humor, but I like the uh, the complete uh, twit. British upper class twit, uh, like a Bertie Wooster type, just bumbling <laughs> his way through a through a, a space opera story or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, funny.
1: Um, and, and uh, I I like a lot of the asides and a lot of the, the concepts in it are fun. Um, very dated, but in a way that I find charming. So, and it's like I like I've said many times, this is like a hundred pages long. It you can just read it online in, like, an afternoon if you feel like it. <laughs> but, you know, you you can't be on Mars all the time. You have to sometimes check out some of the lesser planets.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. I always like it when people go to, like, Saturn and walk around or whatever. Yeah, just because it's <laughs> another planet, hey.
1: Well, our time here on Venus has come to an end, and we must away to the pyramids to teleport back to Earth. We've been upper-class twit Philip Rice and pill salesman Adam Prosser. Our producer, who performed heinous medical experiments on us, was Alex Ross. And our theme song was by Venusian insectoid Jack Fierick. Uh
0: Just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which helps to pay for hosting costs and whatnot. Uh, if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage and illustrations and comics, among other things. Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, one L, or Adam Prosser, two S's, or neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. You can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me or Spear A for Philip. Uh, I would also like to uh, shout out to a project I'm working on right now, uh, which is HeroesLive.TV, a website which is offering streaming content including, uh, comics. I am the comics editor of Heroes Live, and, uh, we've got some cool offerings there, including Philip's own, uh, book, uh, The Apex Society. So, uh, check that out, and subscribe if you like what you see. There's gonna be more content there every day.
1: So until next time, remember that a pill a day keeps the ancient Egyptian
0: doctors away. (laughs)